All right. Well, as we're wrapping up our day, we're glad that you're here this evening. Thank you for coming and being a part of our church service. Let's stand and sing a couple hymns together here, starting with the song, I Will Praise Him Still. Everybody. tonight. Thank you so much for the fact that we can praise you no matter what, morning, noon, or night, and you are with us even all throughout the night. Your scripture reminds us never leaving, never forsaking. Time is not a problem for you. Thank you. Thank you for our service. In Christ's name, amen.
be seated. Psalm 15. Because of the holidays and last week communion service, it's been a few weeks since we've been in the Psalms. But we're going to be looking at this 15th Psalm. It's just a short Psalm of five verses. Beginning with verse 1 Lord, who shall abode in your tabernacle? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? He that walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart. He that backbites not with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors them who fear the Lord. He that swears to his own hurt and changes not. He that puts not out his money to interest, nor takes reward against the innocent. He that does these things shall never be moved. Who shall dwell in the holy hill? Who's, who's the one that's going to be in fellowship with God? What are the marks of one that's in fellowship with God? And as I look at this psalm in verse 2, he's right with God. Verse 3, he's right with his neighbor, with others. In verse 4, he's right with himself. In verse 5, he's right with his possessions. The marks of the one who's in fellowship with God.
Thank you, Joan. Thank you, Felice. We've been invited to sing this song, but only if we have uh, Sharon Porter's permission to do so. Is that okay, Sharon? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, of course. 169, we're going to sing the whole thing together. God sent his son, they called him Jesus, he came to love, heal and forgive, he lived and died, to buy my pardon, an empty grave is there to my Savior lives, because He lives, I can face tomorrow, because He lives, all fear is gone, because I Sweet to know a newborn baby and feel a 
Well, it has to be one of my favorite, all-time favorite songs, so I'm glad we were able to sing that this evening. It is such a comfort to know that, um, you know, my children can face in certain days because our Savior lives. What a comfort that is, not only in my life, but it will be in their life when they recognize and understand the same truths. Um, this evening, I was asked to share a little bit about uh, snow camp, and I was happy to do that, so I'm going to share just a little bit. I have one other person that's going to share this evening, just a brief testimony. Um, thank you all for your prayers um, for snow camp this year. We had a, a, a great group of teenagers that went. We, I, I, I really wasn't sure how many we were going to have. You know, we, you start uh, seeing people say that they're interested in coming, and then you kind of wonder if they're actually going to come. Because you're not seeing, you know, health forms come in, uh, payment come in, that sort of thing. And, and there towards the last couple of weeks, all of it kind of piled in at the same time. We had 21 um, teenagers go to snow camp, which was fantastic. We were, um, I was so grateful for every one of them that came. I really was. Um, and we had um, five adults, including myself, go. Um, I was so thankful for them as well. Um, great, great group of um, leaders that came with us. Um, ben uh, King came, um, Charlie and Sam Watkins came, and then also Carol, uh, Carrie Risley came. So each did a fantastic job, and uh, so thankful for their willingness to serve in that way. Um, I mean, I've kind of determined that uh, I feel like I'm getting too old to do snow camp on myself, but because uh, I've done it for so many years, I, you know, um, but I know I probably have a few more to go here. Um, but uh, and I'm not, I'm not. Uh, that's not a bad thing either. Um, just it's harder to stay up late. Um, but it was a fantastic time, like I said. Um, when we got there, um, the, we went to uh, Rock Mountain Bible Camp. And they, they kind of do a hybrid model from some of the camps I've been at. Um, we don't have to run the entire program, um, nor are we completely hands-off. They kind of have a little bit of, they run certain parts of the program, and then as leaders, we're responsible for certain parts of it as well. Um, so I, I like that model because you get an opportunity to um, be with the kids. The, the teenagers did a fantastic job um, listening, for the most part, you know. Um, they did a good job listening. They did a good job um, just following instructions. We didn't have any major incidents as far as, you know, any disobedience, um, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, when it came to time for, for the fun, we had lots of fun, but then it was time to kind of settle down and um, listen to the Word of God. Um, they did a great job there as well. Um, the camp, I think, did something kind of unique, too, that I've never, I've never seen. And maybe you're familiar with this. Maybe in past, Mike or others have shared about this. But this was sort of a unique thing for me, and I thought it was really well done. Um, <clears throat> so we had several different sessions throughout the time that we were there. Uh, but one of the things that they did was they would have a time of um, more of a lecture-based kind of chapel. and then But they'd always, always have a response time. I'll tell you about the response time in a minute. Um, but other times that they would have more interactive um, lesson. So one of the times um, we... There was four different locations. There was four different churches. So they set up four different locations. And each church went to a different location. At each church, there was a challenge or an activity that they had to complete. Um, and then there was a passive scripture that was tied into each of those challenges. And um, 
I really appreciated the, the awareness that the camp had that when you're at camp and you stay up late, sometimes it's hard to sit and just listen for long periods of time. So I appreciate the fact that they were very uh, aware of that and they made a lot of the, the lessons interactive. Um, so after the lesson times, whether it, would, whether it was uh, listening to the speaker or whether it was doing some sort of activity and then coming back, they would, the camp um, gave us 30 minutes approximately after each session to really work with the teenagers and just to kind of um, digest what it is that they heard and they would offer us questions that we could ask or they'd say, hey, you have free reign to you know, ask and do whatever you want. We're going to give you this 30 minutes just to meet with your group. And that to me was, I think, the highlight um, of the time. Um, and I, not because I was leading them. In fact, I only led about half of the sessions. I let uh, others lead some of the sessions as well. Um, when we got together just with our group to kind of debrief what we had just heard or what we had just done. And I was really impressed with the response of the teenagers, and they were very engaged in that, all right? But instead of me telling you more about that time, I'm going to ask Lincoln, wherever he just went, I'm going to ask Lincoln to come up, and he's going to share just a little bit of his experience in those sessions. So I will start out by saying this is my first year at snow camp this year, and boy, I am so glad I went because I'm going to talk about the response time, like Eddie was saying, big, big, big highlight. I mean, once we got to that time, I saw hearts open to the word of God in two ways, to grow toward each other and to grow toward more God because these teenagers didn't care how long it took to discuss the word of God. They loved to do it at this time, and they wanted to do it more. And we're discussing more than I have ever seen the teens done before. And I think that's partially because they felt safe around the group of teens they were when they're at snow camp. So I appreciate being able to see the teens grow in that way, to see myself grow in that way, and I'm so glad it went. Thanks, Lincoln. And I think he, he summed up a lot of my feelings as well on it, is that there was, it appeared to be a, a, a safe place for them. In fact, some of them even made comment. They said, well, I haven't really shared this, but I feel safe doing it here. And so they would share some things, some struggles they were going, that was going on in their life. And we were actually going through um, um, Jeremiah, the life of Jeremiah, and some of the struggles that he was facing in his life. And so it kind of gave way to talk about, well, some of the struggles that we're facing or how do we handle some of the struggles that we're facing or how do we um, process the idea that, you know, God may make it difficult for the righteous as well as, for the unrighteous as well as the righteous. How do we handle that? Um, and so we, we talked about that and we talked about how even, even when we experience um, you know, the rain, so to speak, um, that falls on the, the unrighteous and yet we're still experiencing it in our lives, that still can be for our good. And that still is God's love and it still is God's grace upon us even in those times. So just being able to process some of those things was really, was really, really great. And uh, the teenagers, again, as, as Lincoln said, they, they just, 
I didn't see people going like, all right, what time is it? Come on, it's lunchtime, it's time to go play the game. I didn't see that. Now, they may have been thinking in the back of their mind, I don't know, but I, I would say about 90% of them were just very much engaged in what we are talking about. So I, I want to encourage you, continue to pray for our teenagers. Um, this was a great um, opportunity for them to, um, to experience, um, have an experience that um, maybe they would otherwise not have in a controlled environment where people who love on them and, and it's safe. Um, but continue to pray for them. Um, you know, as we continue to work with them. I will also um, kind of leave you with this. One of the challenges that we were issued um, this um, particular weekend was to memorize a set of verses, okay? Uh, you can ask me afterwards if I've memorized them, and I'll quote it for you, all right? Uh, but it was Lamentations chapter 3, verses 20 through the 20, 22 to, through 24. And uh, I will say this. Several of our teenagers took that challenge, and they memorized those verses. Um, in fact, when I mentioned it last Wednesday at the uh, uh, youth group time, they were ready to jump up and, and, and say it, which was extremely encouraging. Um, so they, they memorized scripture. They were happy to do it. And um, so, I was, I was, again, I was so encouraged by that um, because you kind of get this impression, well, they're not going to do that. They're not going to memorize those verses. And yet, when it came time to actually, you know, who, who memorized them? You know, like several hands went up or, or people were ready to stand up and they were ready to say it. There was a few of, few of us that were a little more like, oh, I don't know if we're going to do this, all right. You know, because we still had a group to say it. But there was about half the group that really knew it pretty well, and they carried the rest of us. Um, so, again, super encouraged by that. Um, so, if you want to hear more, I could probably go on a lot longer, but I won't tonight. Um, but... If you wouldn't mind, um, just um, bow your heads with me as we just pray for our teenagers. <coughs> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much um, for your work. We thank you that you are at work in our lives and the, the lives of those around us. We thank you for the teenagers that you have brought to this church. We thank you, Lord, for their uh, heart for you. We pray that that um, desire for you would intensify as you give them the grace in that area as well, that they would, if they don't yet know you as Lord and Savior, that they would come to know you. I pray that um, those that do know you would, would indeed grow in their grace. I pray that as a church we would be able to continue to reach out to them and show them the love of Christ. And Lord, just know that uh, you are continuing to build your church, and uh, these teenagers are part of your church. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Eddie. Appreciate that update, and we do need to be faithful in our prayers for our teens. You turn back with me to Psalm 15. One of the dangers that we face as Christians is the temptation to compartmentalize our lives. You know, we... Uh, we want to take various areas of our lives and we kind of separate them into little boxes. You know, I've got my, got my personal life, I've got my family life, I've got my church life, I've got my social life, and I've got my work life, and, and we kind of put them in compartments, in little boxes, and, and we think, we, we 
try to work our lives so that one box has nothing to do with the other. We do that sometimes to justify ourselves. That way, uh, you know, I can go to, to work, and in my work life, I can live like the world. But in my church life, I can come and I can teach Sunday school. Or in my personal life, I can, I can view that pornography, and, and, and that's not going to affect my family life at all. I, I'll have my family life too. And, and we compartmentalize our lives into these little boxes, and we, we think that one has nothing to do with the other, and then we can justify what we might be doing in one of those boxes, and we think it doesn't affect anything else. And then we kind of have that idea, well, if, if four of my five boxes are... are, are are in good shape with God, then, then I'm, I'm good. But that obviously is not what Scripture would teach at all. Uh, a, a partial commitment to God is no commitment at all. It's got to be a full and complete commitment in every area of our life or else we're not really committed and we're not really submissive to Him. And so as we come to, to Psalm 15, I, I, I kind of see it from that light that uh, one who is, is uh, in fellowship with God is, is right in every area of his life. And as I said earlier, it's, it's, you know, who shall abide in your tabernacle? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? Who, who's going to be in fellowship with God? Well, in verse 2, he's going to be right with God. Verse 3, he's going to be right with others. In verse 4, he's going to be right with himself. And then verse 5, he's going to be right with his possessions. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that by doing these things that will put us in fellowship with God. I'm saying that one who is in fellowship with God, these are going to be the marks of that individual. It's not through our effort that we are in fellowship with God. Our fellowship with God is through a complete surrender to Him, and this is what that's going to look like. It's not doing these things puts me in fellowship with God. It's when I'm in fellowship with God, I'm going to do these things. And that's how we're going to approach it tonight. So the marks of one who's in fellowship with God. Let's bow in prayer. Guide us, Father, tonight as we would look at this short psalm. Certainly there is much in it that we can glean from and examine our own lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one who's in fellowship with God is going to be right with God. Verse 2, he's going to walk uprightly. He's going to work righteousness. He's going to speak the truth in his heart. He's going to walk. His walk is going to be right. He's going to walk uprightly. Your translation may say uh, he's going to walk in integrity or he's going to walk in blamelessness. Um, It is a word. The root meaning of the word is simply to be whole or to be complete. It is the word that's used in the Old Testament with reference to the Old Testament sacrifices. They were to be without blemish. They were to be without spot. And so uh, they were to be whole. They were to be healthy animals. Not not the lame, not the weak, but the, the healthy, the best of the flock is what would be sacrificed to God. And so this is the word, blameless, um, integrity. Honesty, if you will. Um, again, it's, it's one who hasn't compartmentalized his life. He doesn't have his life in these compartments and in these boxes, but he is whole, he's complete in his surrender to God. Not just four out of five boxes, but 
completely surrendered to God, blameless, and walking in integrity. His whole life is, is committed to him. I, you know, I, I think of Daniel. You know, Daniel is, is one of the few Old Testament characters. In fact, I, I believe as far as main characters in the Old Testament, uh, Daniel, is, is Daniel and perhaps Joseph are the only two that nothing negative is said about them. You know, you got David and his sin with Bathsheba, and you got Abraham and, and some of the things he did that, that uh, were sinful, and, and of course Jacob and Isaac, but, but Daniel... Nothing negative. Now, that doesn't mean he was perfect. He was a sinner like the rest of us. But, but nothing negative said about Daniel. And then, of course, we know that the other leaders, when they, they wanted to get something against Daniel, they had to get it as it related to his God. What a testimony. There's a man who, who walked uprightly. He, he walked blamelessly. He walked in integrity. In his, in his whole life, he didn't, he didn't compartmentalize his life at all. You know, he was one of the leaders in Babylon, and, and, and he didn't compartmentalize that away from his, his walk with God. And so uh, one of the marks of one in fellowship with God is that he's right with God in that his walk is right. And then secondly, his work is right. He works righteousness. He works that which is right. Um, he knows the difference between right and wrong. He doesn't call evil good and good evil, but he works righteousness. And I like the, that translation. Again, your translation may, may put it a little differently, but the word here, it's a good translation. He works righteousness. That seems to say a little bit more than that he simply does righteousness, but he works righteousness. In other words, he will do what it's right, even if it takes some work. He doesn't just do what's right when it comes easy. But if it gets a little bit hard and difficult, then I, he's not going there. No, he, he's going to work righteousness. Even when it's hard, even when it uh, uh, involves uh, maybe going against his, his own personality, so to speak. In other words, I'm shy and so I'm not going to do that. No, he's going to work at it even if he's shy. He's going to work at being a, a testimony and, and a witness. Or uh, when the, the, the pressure from others, the peer pressure, uh, he's going to still work righteousness even when it's difficult. And even when maybe the, the majority's against him, he's going to work righteousness. And so he's going to walk right, he's going to work right, and he's going to speak right. He speaks the truth in his heart. He speaks the truth. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 25, speak every man truth with his neighbor. Uh, one who's in fellowship with God, he's going he's to be right with God. He's going to speak what is right. He's going to speak truth. Falsehood is not going to come from his lips. Deception, words that mislead are not going to come from his, his lips. He's going to speak truth. And, and notice, it, it's, he speaks the truth in his heart. That's where it starts, isn't it? It starts in our heart. What are we speaking to ourselves? Because often what we're speaking to ourselves then is going to come out in our lips. And so we're going to speak the truth in our heart. And obviously, again, Ephesians chapter 4, we quote it often, but it, it's a good reminder. We need to speak that truth in love. Um, people don't always want to hear the truth. 
We need to speak the truth, whether others want to hear it or not, but we do need to speak it in love. Um, you know, even when it comes to, uh, it comes to gossip, you know, sometimes we think, well, as long as it's true, it's okay. Well, no. What's the motive? If I'm speaking the truth, but it's not in love, keep my mouth shut. <laughs> we need to speak the truth, yes, but we need to speak it in love. And if I'm gossiping, even though the gossip might be true, if it's not motivated by love, then it's, it's not something I should be saying. But we need to speak that truth in love. As I think of that, speaking the truth in love and then speaking the truth in my heart, I'm reminded of, Ephes- of, of Philippians chapter 4, that familiar verse, verse 8, it says, uh, um, think on those things which are true honest and lovely and of good report, but think on those things which are true. We need to speak truth in our heart. We need to think on those things which are true so that then we will speak truth with our tongue, with our lips. But the, when we think on those things which are true, that, you know, that word true, it, it could also be translated, think on those things which are real. Reality. Very important. We spend a lot of time thinking about the if-onlys of life. If only this would have happened, if only that would have happened, if only I'd have done this, if only I wouldn't have done that. And, you know, that's, that's all stuff in the past and, and these if-onlys. And, and sometimes as we, we dwell on the if-onlys, we just get discouraged, we get down, we, you know, we think we've blown it, and, and that's not good. God doesn't want us dwelling in the past on the if-onlys. That's not real. The if-onlys didn't happen. Maybe we wish they did, but they didn't. So quit thinking about the if-onlys. Think about what's real. And then we spend a lot of time thinking about the what-ifs. That's the future. What if this happens? What if this, hap- what if this doesn't happen? What if I do this? What if I don't do that? The what-ifs, that's future. But you know what? That's not real either. That's still in the future. We don't know what the future holds. That's not real. Think on what's real because when we start dwelling on that what if, that's when we sometimes start depending upon ourselves and so we start manipulating circumstances and we start trying to manipulate people and we don't speak the truth because we're thinking on those things which aren't real. We need to think on those things which are real, those things which are true so that then we can speak the truth and do so in love and so the ones in fellowship with God the marks he's right with God he's going to walk right he's going to work right and he's going to speak right verse 3 he's right with others he that backbites not with his tongue Um, he's right with others He doesn't say bad things about others. He doesn't backbite or he doesn't uh, slander others. He doesn't gossip about others. He's he's not always painting others in a negative light. We we tend to slander others and we tend to gossip about others and we tend to paint others in a negative light out of pride, don't we? If we can put others down, that kind of builds us up. One who's right with others as a mark of fellowship with God, is not going to be uh, speaking bad things about his neighbor, about others. 
Not going to be putting others down in order to build himself up. Along those same lines, we do not do bad things to others. He that backbites not with his neighbor or with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor. So he doesn't he doesn't say bad things about his neighbor, about his about others, but he also doesn't do bad things to others. He doesn't do that which is evil to his neighbor. In other words, he treats others fairly. Treats others justly. The golden rule. It's very simple, but so true. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's just very simple. Simple to say, simple to understand. Not always so simple to do, is it? But one who's in fellowship with God is going to be right with others. And he's going to obey the golden rule. He's going to do to others as he'd have them do to him. He's not going to do bad things to others. He's not going to do evil to his neighbor. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says that love is kind. Love does not behave itself disgracefully toward others. Love does not... uh, Uh, hold others accountable without forgiveness. That's 1 Corinthians 13, that love. And if we're going to have the marks of one who's in fellowship with God, we're going to be right with others. We're going to not do evil to others. We are going to love them. He does not take up a reproach against his neighbor. He doesn't say bad things about his neighbor. He doesn't do bad things to his neighbor. And he doesn't listen to bad things about his neighbor. He doesn't take up a reproach. The word reproach here is a word, literally it means to pull off, to expose, or literally to strip naked. That's the literal meaning of that word. It's used in the sense of defamation of character, to put others down, to to bring shame to others, to bring disgrace to others. That's really the the thought of the word. But as it's worded here, he does not take up a reproach. He doesn't take up a defamation of character against others. That that tends to, to lead us to think that we hear others put people down, we hear others defame the character of another, and then we take it up and we repeat it. He says, one who's right with others isn't going to take up that reproach. They're not going to take up that defamation of character and then repeat it. He's not going to listen to that reproach. Not going to listen to that defamation of character. He's not going to allow, in essence, what he's not going to allow his ears to become the garbage can for the gossiper. You know, it's listening ears that keep the gossiper in business. If we don't listen, the gossiper is going to shut up. Gossiper stays in business because there's ears that want to hear it. We need to make sure that we're not the ones with the ears that want to hear it. Not going to take up a reproach against his neighbor. One who's has the marks of one is in fellowship with God, is right with God. He's right with others. Verse 4, he's right with himself. Right with himself. 
in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but he honors them who fear the Lord, he that swears to his own hurt and changes not. He's right with himself. He, he condemns sin. He calls sin, sin. He does not call that which is right, sin. He doesn't call that which is evil, right. But he calls sin, sin. He condemns sin. He knows right from wrong. He doesn't tolerate sin in his own life or in the life of others. Now, I want to be careful as we speak of that. Again, we recognize that we need to love the sinner. But we don't just overlook sin in ourselves or in others. Out of love, you know, the, the, it's not loving to not tell a sinner that he's sinning. Now, again, I'm not saying go out and everybody you see on the street, call them a sinner and tell them why. But, but in our relationship with others, I can't just ignore sin. I can't just overlook sin. I can't just, in order to, to maintain a friendship, participate with them in their sin. No, uh, one who is right with himself is going to condemn sin in himself and in others, and he's not going to tolerate sin in order to maintain a friendship in the sense of, of cooperating with them in their sin in order to maintain that friendship. We need to take a stand against sin. We need to take a stand against that iniquity. And so we're not going to tolerate We're not going to ignore it. not just going to turn the other way. That He says there that, uh, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. Um, the word despise, it's the idea of, of to uh, consider it contemptible, to, to, to disdain it, uh, to not esteem, or to, or to uh, uh, he, he, he uh, vile person is despised, it, he does not esteem it. You know, we, if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. If we esteem sin in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. Uh, the Psalms tell us. And here's the idea of, of we can't regard iniquity. We can't esteem iniquity in ourselves or in others. Again, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And when I read that, I, I think of this. You know, you know, we think, well, of course I'm not going to rejoice in sin. Oh, yeah? What if that sin is to your advantage? What if that person is lying, but that lie helps you? Are you going to rejoice in that lie because it helps you? Rejoice is not iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Well, of course I'm going to rejoice in the truth. Oh, yeah? What if that truth hurts you? What if that truth is to your disadvantage? Still going to rejoice in it? One who's right with himself is going to despise and condemn sin. Even if that sin is to his advantage. Psalm 97 verse 10 says, You who love the Lord hate evil. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Do we really hate evil? I think sometimes we as Christians are too quick to tolerate sin in our own lives. 
we, we, we try to get as close to it as we possibly can, maybe without going over the line. We don't really hate it. We don't really despise it, especially when it's something that we really want to do or if it really helps us feel good. We need to hate sin. We need to despise sin. So one who's right with himself, he's going to, he's going to condemn sin, but he's going to commend the righteous. But he honors them who fear the Lord. He's going to commend the righteous. Um, he's going to honor them who fear the Lord. He's going to esteem the righteous. He's going to uh, um, not be ashamed of the righteous. Not going to be ashamed of righteousness, but he's not going to be ashamed of others who are living righteous lives. Not going to be one who, uh, who uh, is afraid to associate with other believers. Sometimes, you know, some Christians, they, they don't really want anything to do with other believers. Because to be with other believers, that, that they may be, uh, by their friends, cast in that light. And they really don't want to be cast in that light. But one who really is right with himself, he's going to commend the righteous. He's going to honor the righteous. Even if the minority are the ones who are right, he will side with the minority. Not just going to go with the majority. So he's going to condemn sin. He's going to commend the righteous. He's going to commit himself to doing what's right. He that swears to his own hurt, he, he, he keeps his promises. Even if keeping that promise is to his disadvantage. It's going to hurt him. He's going to keep his promise. He's going to keep his word. His yes is going to be yes. His no is going to be no. And sometimes he'll, he'll say he's going to do something and then later he's going to realize, boy, I really don't want to do that. Um, that's really not to my advantage. But he's going to keep his word anyway. He's not going to be breaking his promises just because it becomes inconvenient to keep the promise. He's not going to change, it says. He, he changes not. Not going to change his mind. He's not going to be flip-flopping all over the place depending on what's convenient at the time. He's going to let his yes be yes. He's going to let his no be no. He's going to keep his word. He's going to be faithful to his word. And others are going to recognize that faithfulness. So he's going to condemn sin. He's going to commend righteousness. And he's going to commit himself to do what's right regardless of the circumstances. And then finally in verse 5, he's right with his possessions. He that puts not out his money to interest. Um, you know, the Old Testament does not blanketly condemn um, charging interest. What it condemns is taking advantage of people in charging a very high interest or even um, charging interest to the poor and needy. That's what's condemned in, in Scripture. So it's not just a blanket interest is sinful, but it's taking advantage of others, especially uh, and specifically really charging interest to the poor and needy. But the idea here, he's not going to put out his money to, to, to interest. In other words, uh, He's going to help the poor and needy rather than try to get wealthy off of them. He's not one who is, is so um, concerned about his possessions and his wealth that he's going to take advantage of others. 
He has a proper understanding of this world's goods and this world's wealth. And that does not become his God. That does not become his, his concern. He's more concerned about helping others and helping the poor and helping the needy rather than taking advantage of them and trying to get wealthy off of them. And then he goes on and says, and, and he takes, uh, does not take reward against the innocent or, or a bribe. Same idea. He's not going to try to get wealthy by, by taking a bribe, against the, uh, a bribe against the innocent. So he has a proper perspective on wealth. He's not taking advantage of others. So one who is in fellowship with God, what's he going to look like? Well, he's going to be right with God. He's going to walk right. He's going to work right. He's going to have words that are right. He's going to be right with others. He's not going to say bad things about others. He's not going to do bad things to others, and he's not going to listen to bad things about others. He's going to be right with himself. He's going to condemn sin. He's going to commend the righteous, and he's going to commit himself to do right no matter what. And then he's going to be right with his possessions. He's not going to take advantage of others. And he's not for sale. He's not going to take a bribe. That's the marks of one who's in fellowship with God. And notice then the last phrase of verse 5. He that does these things shall never be moved. He's going to take a stand for God. And he's not going to be moved from that stand. He's not going to be shaken from that stand. He's going to be like a rock, and no one's going to be able to move him from that fellowship with God. I trust tonight as we look at our own lives that we can see, are that, is that the mark of my life? Am I really in fellowship with God again? I'm not saying that doing these things puts us in fellowship with God. I'm saying when I'm in fellowship with God and I'm surrendered to Him, this is what I'm going to look like. And if I'm not seeing this in my life, then... I need to do something about my fellowship with Him. I need to surrender my life to Him. As I said before, four out of five boxes, that's not good enough. I need to be fully, completely surrendered to Him. And If in some of these areas I'm not in full surrender to Him, I'm really not in fellowship with Him. I need to examine my own life. What are the marks of my life. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we're so grateful tonight that we're able to be together and to study your word, examine ourselves, and we thank you, Father, that you are always there to be in fellowship with us. You go nowhere. You don't turn your back on us. If we're not in fellowship with you, it's because we've turned our back on you. We've walked away from you. And you are there ready to accept as we would return to you and as we would surrender to you. Thank you for that love. Thank you for that grace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Shall we stand? Pray, Father, that we would not in any way try to compartmentalize our lives and try to justify what we're doing in one compartment of our life because we're doing something good in another compartment. That's not how you view us. That's not how you created us. 
And I pray, Father, that that's not how we would look at ourselves. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good evening. May God bless you.